0: Welcome to the Antifada, the arachno-communist podcast for interdimensional spiders who want to abolish the value form. I'm Jamie Peck.
1: Hi, I'm Sean JB. I am Anarcha Spider, Andy.
0: <laughs> and we are here with two amazing, exciting guests today, uh, Brett and Brian from Street Fight Radio.
2: Hi. Hey, what's <laughs> up?
0: Woo. Hi, guys. I'm so excited to have you here.
2: Yeah, this is great. Um, y'all do good work thank, oh, thank you. you. You do too. Uh,
3: you've, uh, I think probably you're like the uh, uh, anarchist Johnny Appleseeds of uh, leftist podcasts. <laughs> you know, wherever you go, you just spread the lo- spread the love.
4: Thank you for not saying the Velvet Underground, because that means <laughs> we, don't get, we don't get to
3: make the money. <laughs> <laughs> and that's also su- such a played out reference. Like everybody says that about everything. Yeah.
1: Like I gotta say, uh, Brian, I love the, your your fashion statement of wearing the headphones at all times. Like it's kind of like. <laughs> How an athlete might wear like part of their uniform around their neck. <laughs>
4: the 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 thing is, I need the headphones because I never like want to hear the world around me. Uh-huh. And uh, the me the the meme, the sad Brian thing. I had the he- I had the headphones on, and then from that day, I was just like, well, I guess people want to see the headphones, so I just put the headphones on, yeah. and now it's a habit. I should take it off because I don't do all that stuff. Like the, it used to be like you need to wear jeans and you need to wear boots and a flannel when you're out there and now I'm like wearing long sweat shorts and (laughs) like I don't need the headphones anymore.
2: He's evolving.
4: Yeah. (laughs) He's going to get
2: AirPods next.
4: (laughs) I'm not. I can't. I'm afraid to lose those things. Yeah, no, fuck that. Yeah.
0: I can't even wear earbuds at all. They fall out of my ears or I just cram them in there and it hurts me so the AirPods (laughs) are like a recipe for... No, just give me some normal-ass headphones that go over my head it's
4: fine. Doesn't the white cord look cool, though? Like, it's so. Like, I like different colored cords because I when I was a young man, they were all white. Okay. <laughs> or all black, sorry. All the cords were black. So I like all the different color cords and stuff like that. It's Why nice. Why not?
3: Why not? Switch. That's what capitalism gives you is lots of different options. <laughs> the same cord, but in different colors. Mm-hmm. So, uh, all three of us here in the studio uh, were fortunate to go and see. Street uh, Street Fight Radio live last night at uh, Littlefields in Brooklyn, and I have to say, guys, was it? Was it fucking lit? I thought it was pretty fucking yeah, lit. Yeah, it
1: was really funny. Yeah.
0: yeah, I paid very close attention because we're going to steal everything from you for our own live show that we're doing. Pretty Hopefully soon. Matt
1: Chrisman, specifically. Oh my nah, God, he's what best. a treasure.
0: Yeah. How,
4: how about, like, me and Brett have been saying this for like three years now, since we started performing with those guys, is that Matt could go up by himself and be like Sam
1: Kennison and be yeah. the biggest uh, comedian yeah. in the world. He's our yeah. generation's Louis C.K. <laughs> <laughs> Let's Without the bad not parts. in everywhere.
4: Yeah, he doesn't like sex
3: at all.
1: <laughs>
3: yeah, not, not that I know. He's Valself. You, you heard it here first, folks.
0: <laughs> Him and
4: Slovos Zizek. But That's uh, actually I, I will say that like they those guys get a lot of shit, but we've been hanging out with them now since 2016 and they've like never said anything creepy about women around us because we're we're like very anti-creepy about like i don't ever want to hear what a woman looks like when you leave the room i don't want to talk about it i don't want to hear it i i fucking worked blue collar jobs for 15 years where that's all anybody talked about so like now that i'm in this space i don't want to hear it and like those guys have been nice they have never said anything nasty which is why it's so fucking weird to me that these people like you know they'll call them like date rapists and shit like that and bros and I'm like they're like nerd guys. Yeah. They yes, never yes. say yeah. anything sexual. I haven't heard <laughs> that yeah. either. I mean,
0: I don't make the cool rules. I just know them. But those guys are nerds. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. the authority. If I had to put them into any kind of subcultural pigeonhole. I would say that they're nerds.
4: It's funny to call them bros. Like it's so like that (laughs) whole thing with the Bernie bro thing cracks me up because it's like I former probably bro would never have hung out with anybody that was that that, like they consider Bernie bros (laughs) when I was like a really bad dude.
0: (laughs) Yeah, well, I guess people have sort of a vaguer definition of bro as being just like whenever a group of millennial males get together. They think it's a little broy, and like I get, I get the vibe. It's a very, eh, gets. It's a masculine-ish kind of vibe, but like,
2: no, it's naming something that it, like bro culture it exists also has to be stopped.
0: Well, yes, yeah, certainly. Uh, right.
3: Patriarchy is just as bad for men. I mean, not just as bad, but <laughs> okay. it is. I would cut, cut that, cut that, cut <laughs> that. I'm going to say patriarchy is also bad, but I'm going to stop and restart that. So I didn't say what I actually said. You, no,
0: you leave that in. Andy. No, fuck that. Self-crit.
1: That's what Sean really believes.
4: Oh, shut in. up! <laughs> okay, so we're oh, gonna uh, get you guys on Street Fight now, where we don't edit anything. <laughs> oh God, <laughs> make you say uh, bad things. Yeah, okay.
3: patriarchy. Patriarchy is uh, obviously uh, most horrific for women, but it also distorts, uh, you know, men's lives and men's psychology yeah. as well. I mean, I work in the building trades. You know, blue collar. It's almost always men. And um, it's just the most boring, basic-ass conversations Mm -hmm. about women, you know, talking shit about sex and, like, tits and whatever. And it's just, I get it. It's, like, a way to socialize. but It's not particularly interesting. You're bonding. But what are you bonding over? Like, we think women are attractive. We want to have sex with them. Wow, I had sex last night. Cool. Like, it's not, you know, there's so many, so much other shit to talk about it's you're it's also, such a lame you're also in a room full of married men that aren't like probably having sex even once <laughs> a week.
0: <laughs> uh, lots of ru-
3: lots of rubbing tugs in my line of work but we no, are not a lot in of sex. a
0: sex recession right now That's so true. That's true. That's sad.
4: I was anti-sex but then Brett made me talk about how I have sex on the podcast now, now I now I'm a pervert to our fans cuz I said you should be more polite when you Wait, have like sex. Howard
2: Stern like you had sex on the podcast <laughs> <No>. or <laughs> Brett <laughs> he he came up with five like simple rules f- for sex. Five
4: simple rules is you ask if the person wants to have sex and then you politely move back and forth on top of them. <laughs> <laughs> and then you politely roll over and say thank you, and then you say never talk about it again. That's, po- po- <laughs> that's how I. That's that's, that's my the mindset.
0: Folks at home,
3: uh, if you need to uh, pause it and take a cold shower after that hot uh, that hot talk right there. Uh, we what have if
0: Howard Stern, but respectful?
3: <laughs> what what if, if Howard Stern, but afraid of sex? What, literally... if, what if Street Fight Radio, but instead of having a uh, porn star sit on a sibian like you got you guys did? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, looked at us. <laughs>
2: well, I also uh accidentally mentioned that spitting in mouths is hot. So now the fans are oh. bugging us to hear more of that, and I don't know if that's gonna work <laughs> either. So I don't I don't wanna put that out you there. Know, either.
0: Everyone's got their own special taste. Sure. <laughs> don't want to yuck anyone's yum. Of
2: course. I oh. do. Like actually that's my
4: role on the show is to yuck everybody's <laughs>
3: yum. <laughs> Speaking of uh yuck and yum, uh, because we uh, you guys performed and uh, we attended uh, I drank a lot. I just actually pulled the trigger in the bathroom. I was feeling so ill, and I vomited. Yeah, my bad. Everybody's uh, a little uh, a little worse for wear. So I find I when, feel
0: great. Speak for yourself.
3: Shush! You, I'm, you're I'm I actually, I actually feel great right now. Like, right, well, a lot of euphoria. Four from hours something, of sleep, <laughs> and a dab, you and I'm rolling. All right. Well, I was gonna say that uh, one of the my favorite hangover cures is a little thing. It starts with a K and it ends with a radum. And uh, that Kratom is uh, definitely helping me this morning. Do you guys have any experience in the world of Kratom? We sold it for a Yeah, we a were period. moving
2: weight, major weight. <laughs> yeah, we, we uh, used to sell it in our store uh, on our website to raise money for the show, generate funds and everything. And eventually, in Ohio, it got into a legal gray area, and the Department of Agriculture started raiding shops in town oh, yeah. and I was like I'm not gonna deal with that Jesus. shit yeah, yeah. Dude, that's, that's why we're here la- <laughs> that's, that's th- the
3: lamest drug penalty like I'm in here for kratom <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. well I mean uh, that's
4: why we're here really we we had to supplement so uh the show we weren't making a ton on patreon for a long time so we sold the kratom as a way to kind of get it to the point where then me and him didn't have to work a job so then when they took the Kratom and CBD away from us, we just have to tour incessantly now Whoa. and always be I away from know our CBD family. Why did <laughs> do that? I
0: thought those things were legal.
4: Well, CBD is – Brett's going to look into it, I think, when we get back. CBD's kind of legal now in Columbus, but they still raid you for it. They don't yeah.
0: care.
2: And sometimes it'll be treated exactly like plant material. Like they're, they're charging people with felonies. There was a, like a Jesus. distributor bringing it into Ohio – And is facing a felony on like a truck full of it as if it's illegal. That is not even
0: real weed. No, No. it's...
4: it's, Yeah, it's barely
3: medicine.
0: Yeah.
4: It's like a better ty- it's like a more healthy all PM
3: basically yeah. is what it is Dude, yeah. at the fucking at the Associated uh, supermarket up the street from our house you like you know that the checkout counter they have like the impulse buys like dead ass they have fucking CBD uh, chocolates mm-hmm. like at the fucking supermarket but yeah it's and all over the place yeah. Ours does too.
0: yeah but, but they still st- get busted for
3: it
2: so. we
4: have a place in town called CBD and it's it's got a really I don't know exactly what it stands Columbus
2: for. Botanical Depot <laughs> Columbus <laughs> Botanical <laughs>
4: Depot and they sell CBD there. The shitty thing about it is, is the guys that this is very capitalist too, is the guys that got into it now are charging like way more than it's actually worth. Cause we just went to California and saw what they're selling. Well, no, even not even California, Portland. When we went to Portland, Oregon, we saw what they were selling this stuff for. And it's cheap there. There's like a glut of weed and everything's so cheap. And it's, it's like, in Columbus, you couldn't realistically use CBD as like a uh, as as like a holistic cure, be- unless you make fifty thousand dollars a year at least. You well, know, because it's problem expensive.
0: With legalization too, like we're gonna get legal weed in New York probably this year, and it really tends to favor people with tons of money because mm-hmm. there are so many regulations and it's so expensive, which is why people are saying like. We need to build in some kind of funds, some kind of grants for the people who have been hurt the most in the communities who've been hurt the most by marijuana criminalization.
4: Right. I just saw a story that that your recreation that they were getting ready to have recreational weed here. We did this in Columbus, too. And like, I think it's really cool because it's a really hard decision to make. Uh, In Columbus, what they wanted to do was legalize weed in about eight people including nick lachey from 98 degrees (laughs) were the only people allowed to grow and sell it there were going to be eight companies that were allowed it was baked in and maybe if successful in five years they would let four companies do four more companies so there would be 12 and uh We voted it down. Me and Brett were against it. And a lot of people got really mad at us in the city because they were like, oh, this is our chance. This is our only chance. And I was like, this isn't like – this is a worthless chance. This is nothing. You can't grow it at home. You can't smoke it outside. You can't do anything with it. Why not do our own – so now some – thank God for crazy libertarian guys, some crazy <laughs> libertarian guys, drafting a bill that we're going to vote on where it's like, you can, you can grow as much as you want. You can yeah. do all this stuff. So we're hoping that one passes, but unfortunately
3: here- there's a rider attached. That also makes pedophilia <laughs> legal illegal though. Right. That's the, yeah. that's, that's the tough part with those libertarians.
4: <laughs> but here I saw that they voted it down because there was not equity in it for the people who are already selling weed. And I'm like, if you if, if, if New York is able to do that, that's incredible because she's the, the woman that stopped it is trying to get people pardoned and out of jail. And also those people get out of jail. They get to have equity in the weed business. And that's yeah. the only fair way to do it. And it sucks that the guys that are getting this past are these capitalist venture capitalist guys that are just like, oh, I just see a lot of money in weed. I, I It sucks.
2: You know, John Boehner is investing heavily in it.
0: Oh, yeah, I heard that.
2: He's one of the shitheads from our state. He owns a crappy bar outside of town, but we've never been. We should <laughs> go someday. Should we go. want to go someday oh, wow. and I should smoke. meet him. That'd that be sounds cool. like a good Put God God my so calendar. story. Yeah. We're going to gonna go
4: there. We're going to sit down at the bar. We're going to smoke a Marlboro Ultralight <laughs> <laughs> and drink an
3: MGD64. <laughs> <laughs> and then he's going to cry on your shoulder.
0: <laughs> it's the only place you go where the bartender cries to you. <laughs> <laughs>
3: oh, so, but.
0: I wanted to ask you guys a couple questions from our Discord community. Um, shout out to our Discord! Shout community. Shout out to our Discord community, you guys are rad. Um, I've got a serious one, but I'll start. You know what? They're both serious. I shouldn't say that. So, question from our Discord that they wanted to ask you is: "Quote, are Nine Inch Nails and Marilyn Manson new metal?" Question mark.
4: I can answer this for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was a new metal guy, I was very into new metal growing up. Uh, I would. I had this thing in my head that there are Nine Inch Nails people and there are Marilyn Manson people. Mm. And two I genders. was, I was a, man, <laughs> I was a Marilyn Manson guy. So Marilyn Manson, new metal, Nine Inch Nails is for snobs and mean people that listen to
2: industrial music.
0: Oh man! Shots
2: fired, Jamie. Wow. <laughs> like,
1: this
0: question kind of threw me for a loop. But 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 go on.
2: I would also say that new metal people really try to make it into a very narrow window, but it was a scene at a time, and there has to be a variety of sounds. I'll say Rage Against the Machine is new metal as well. Don't say that. They do the wiki wiki wiki
3: stuff, so Uh, that's rappy. It's it's weird because they started off like post. They were in hardcore bands, and they were like post hardcore, but I think I do buy you that, like, that. Putting in they, that weird uh, Tom Morello guitar shit does make them vaguely uh, new metal. Good wow. politics, this but is, they might be new we're metal. We're doing
0: world systems theory right now. Like <laughs> well, every new step, every new phase has elements of what came before and also what will come after. Yes. So in that sense, I suppose Marilyn Manson could have been some kind of proto new metal artist. Well here's a
4: here's the thing about like so new metal has a bad name, right? Like everybody's like, I I, I would never listen. I'm, I hate new metal. And so a band, if you say a band that was very new metal, oh, let's the best example of this is Deftones, right?
0: Fucking love the yeah. Deftones, They're, right? You love die the Deftones. On that
4: hill. Yeah, we all love the Deftones, and they were my favorite band growing up. And I was also into like Corn and Nonpoint and Spine Shank. And Deftones are definitely new metal. They're a hundred percent. They were part of that scene. Them corn and limp biscuit were kind of like the Who, the Beatles, and the Rolling Stones. Those were the three <laughs> bands, right? Mm-hmm. And like every time I post about new metal and say one of my, my favorite new metal band is the Deftones, people are like, well, they're technically not new metal. And I'm like, you're right. You're rewriting history <laughs> because you don't want to be the person that listens to new metal uh, because yeah. you fair. don't want to be a person that enjoys new metal. That's why when Brett said Rage Against the Machine is new metal, people will argue. That they're not new metal because they don't want to be a person that
3: listens to new metal. Yeah, no, that, that's, I get it. That makes sense. And System I of a Down have too. I've done that right?
4: myself. I'm yep. guilty. System guilty of a Down charged. is another one yeah. where they'll say they're not new metal. Now, here's my thing that's about...
1: ridiculous. They're incredibly new metal. <laughs> yeah, they really are.
4: <laughs> here's my thing about System of a Down and Raging Against the Machine that I've recently come to. Uh, we're talking about subjects of songs, and Marilyn Manson kind of co- sometimes falls in this too. If you're like doing social commentary, I feel like that. Is a subset of new metal that might not be exactly in a real spirit, like, new metal is not supposed to be about anything.
0: Yeah, no, it's, it's like, it's like I'm, men. Hating I'm so people. crazy, yeah. yeah. What's wow. up, yeah. I'm a dude from the suburbs. Yeah. <laughs> yes.
1: Listen to this twisted fairy tale. <laughs> <laughs> well, System of a Down has uh, a prison abolition song oh, opening yeah. their second album, and on their first album, they have a song about spiders. <laughs> <laughs> and and well, no spiders. I, that's what I
4: wonder. I wonder, like, is it, is it fair to call them rage against machine system of a down, uh, even cause like I said, Marilyn Manson did some political stuff. I, I think that like a lot, I, I'll say this. I, I went to Ozfest 97 where Marilyn Manson played, and that, I feel in my life, was the last time people freaked out about an artist. There was a plane. Oh, yeah. I talk as, about this a
0: lot, by was, the way. It
4: was crazy because there was a plane flying over the amphitheater with one of those things that says, Jesus loves you. Please don't <laughs> listen to this music. <laughs> oh, and there was a bomb threat at the oh. show. And they had to like move everybody to one side of the amphitheater to keep from getting I guess, blown up by a Christian for listening to
0: music. (laughs) It's America. Story checks It is so hard for me to explain to younger millennials how freaked out people used to be by Marilyn Manson. (laughs) It was weird. And and
4: you know what it is? My brother uh, is... I mean, Brett knows him now pretty well. He works with us. My brother is like just the most regular guy guy.
2: Yeah, like he's like man. Like I don't I can't call myself a man when I'm standing around him. He (laughs) could like pick up an anvil over his head. (laughs) (laughs) That's normal. Regular ass dude.
4: And he had his mind blown by Marilyn Manson because he went and saw him in the very early days open for Dan. He went to see Motorhead and Danzig. Oh, that's a good show. And Marilyn Manson was the opener. And uh, he pulled his pants down and put his dick between his legs and walked around on stage. And my brother, like, this is 1994. And my brother fucking just had no idea how to deal with it in his mind. (laughs) He loved the music. And he was like, I don't know. He came home and he was just like, I don't know. I don't know if I should listen to it. (laughs) (laughs) It was good music, but it was, I was very weirded out by this man. (laughs) I did get to see a lot of those bands in very small venues. Like, I I I saw, I saw Limp. Biscuit at this place called well at a a 400 seat venue called the Alrosa Villa where Dimebag Daryl was shot Um, I saw Limp Biscuit play there with Monster Magnet opening for him and it was like there were only a hundred people there and Limp Biscuit didn't play any of their songs they only played Slayer songs they played Hound Dog by uh, Elvis they, they like they just were like we're not gonna play any of our songs and just did all covers and it was so cool like so like I have this affection for the new metal scene because like I was like I was in the Midwest and there for everything right. that happened yeah, yeah, yeah. I was at Woodstock '99
0: like I have all the yeah. <laughs>
3: it's like the CBGBs in like the you know early '70s
0: except <laughs> for loser rednecks. So Speaking of the middle of the country, uh, I feel like we kind of hang out in our coastal elite bubble sometimes uh, uh most of it's the time. always good to get perspectives from other places so i wanted to ask you guys uh how things are going in the middle of the country right now specifically um what's the landscape of the left looking like
4: well we're bad people to ask that because the left like sort of gathers around us in columbus you know so like uh The only difference is, is that when we go see my in-laws or my dad, I get to see weird politics and his parents are, he just told me on the way here, on the way down here, that his parents subscribed to a magazine called Support (laughs) <laughs> that is just about cops and troops.
2: Wow. <laughs>
4: get out of here. <laughs> I want to read it more than the It's
2: a Blue Lives Matter, like, lossy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh magazine, like, God. comes in the mail every single month. Oh, my God. I'm, I'm going to have to, I'll get one.
0: <laughs> magazine. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. Oh. cha cha.
4: <laughs> just a magazine, like, a magazine just is, that is. Make sure you support the boot that's on your neck all the time. All the boots. The different boots. It's a variety of boots. <laughs> my, my father-in-law is... Uh, um, Chapo did an episode about a place called The Villages. Do you, do you guys know oh, The Villages? Yeah. I not remember the story, but... okay, a great episode. My father-in-law uh, voted for Obama twice. I had him talked into like drug legalization, Before then, he moved to the villages for five years. He moved back and now he's racist and he loves Donald Trump and he watches InfoWars all day. Like it completely flipped him back the other way. So, those are the only like real conservative people. So, to ask me and Brett about what the left on the Midwest looks like, it's like when we're with the left, it's like there's a hundred people in a room looking at us and being like very excited about the left. (laughs)
2: Uh, I'll say, It's actually doing pretty well, in my opinion. Uh, There is a Black Lives Matter group called People's Justice Project that has been around for like more than a decade now, and they've taken over City Hall. Um, They've done a lot of like protests, like uh, flash mob protests out of nowhere. Um, They were part of organizing the interrupting the parade, the Pride Parade. Why did I say parade? The uh, Pride (laughs) Parade in Columbus. Um, So. They are they're they're accomplishing a lot. Uh, the DSA is very active. Uh, I don't I'm not a member of it because I don't want to fucking so get them in trouble or anything. Uh, I worry about that, like that so much. So <laughs> anyway. I do, but I do Meals on Wheels through them. Like I put on a DSA T-shirt and do Meals on Wheels. Um, I do Planned Parenthood uh, stuff like that through connections from DSA, and then sh- you know then they keep me informed on protests that are happening and everything else. And then we also have a woman that I think. Uh, in asylum in a church uh, that's been there now for almost 18 months and there's a pretty dedicated community of people that have kept her uh, safe from uh, any legal troubles so um, it's really active in my opinion. That's great. I'm, it's it's small and nobody else in the city knows it's going on but if you pay attention it is there and um, DSA is also launching a break light clinics all month long. They had the most successful break light clinic that's ever happened um, they, did, they did like a hundred cars or something, so they're going to keep it rolling. Nice. Um, our food not bombs is picking up again. Oh I just yeah. talked to them. Uh, I'm working on being a driver during the day for picking up food. Nice. They're like incredibly like well planned. I talked to the guy. He's just like super atypical spreadsheet guy that loves to like move information around.
0: Typical and anarchist. Yeah. Finally,
1: we, t- we have a positive reference to Food Not Bombs on this show. <laughs> <laughs> like every time we mention it, we're just throwing shade at it for no reason. I All
3: three of us have been in it and talked shit on it, even though it it's great. It uh, just
2: comes down to who the membership is. But So they're able to get like leftover produce at the airport that like our local food bank can't pick up. Because they have to bring a semi-truck trailer. Uh, Andy would like to know the address of that.
3: Uh, (laughs) He's our anarchal mapache, but sorry, go on.
2: And then they take that and they do free produce giveaways once a month. And they give 200, 300 people. They give a bag full of food to them. Um, So they are accomplishing a lot.
4: I actually did. When I was in college, I had to do a study about food deserts in Columbus. And uh, it, it is a large city in size. It's one of the larger cities in the Midwest in like size, but it's and population. And uh there's a there's so many of them there that like anybody even handing out pro, there there's no produce in a lot of the neighborhoods there. So like food not bombs going there and giving people even an orange is probably the most vegetables they're going to get cuz they got by their groceries from uh from a gas station. And we don't, like, have bodegas.
2: Yeah. There's no, know. like, economy of, like, you know, small grocers that y'all have here with the fresh produce and stuff. There isn't enough street traffic to even warrant that or people that are going to go.
3: Unfortunately, here in the in the city, too, uh, the food deserts exist because there's the bodegas, but most of them in the... Uh, you know, underprivileged areas in the in the city, uh, don't sell any fresh produce. Right. It's yeah. like uh candy, cigarettes and beer and, and, and whatever. So it is a problem here for sure.
4: Right. You see liberals complain about uh I, I I've seen so many liberals complain about like people without much money eating poorly. Like, oh, they eat McDonald's oh, every that's day. That's worst, why they're so. broke. But you're like, the only thing by their
3: house is McDonald's and, and they Burger had no King. No money, and they could feed their entire family for like twenty bucks.
4: Well, something Brett said very early on on Street Fight that really that resonated with me was was like. You could go to Burger King and get like three thousand calories, or you could go to the grocery store and buy like a piece of broccoli and try to like sustain yourself (laughs) while you're roofing all day. Two
0: hours worth of work, (laughs) yeah, yeah. Reproductive labor. So, um, I know Andy doesn't really like it when we talk about parenting on this show. But I'm sorry. I only don't like it
1: when you talk about we just it. Just got to. D- oh, okay. You guys can talk about it.
0: Okay. Mm-hmm. Um. So fine. So I won't even talk. Well, I'm not parents, so like it doesn't even matter. Um. But like, yeah, Sean and I have been talking about like whether or not we're gonna have kids and stuff. Yeah. We're kind of the age when people do it yeah. in in New York. Anyway, See, this, is, this is what I'm talking. About. Uh. So Okay, okay. I'm getting to it. God. All this smut. Um, this is I, a
3: sexy show.
0: So <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, and we think about it in terms of, you know, our politics and, oh, if the revolution happens that we've been working for our entire lives, what if we die and our kids are orphans? That would really suck for them. And this is a thing that I think about a lot, actually. Maybe I'm just being neurotic. I don't know. But uh, you guys are both dads, um, and I've seen photos of your child. She's very cute. Um, I haven't seen yours, but I'm sure your kid's cute, too. Mm,
4: I don't know. <laughs> She's 14. It's hard to... <laughs> the she luster's was, gone. She was <laughs>
1: very cute on the episode. That
0: she was on. That was oh, yeah. cute. That is awesome. you <clears throat> potted with your kid. That's we do it
4: every about... Oh, six months, seven months. She's kind of boring. Like, she, <laughs> she does not well,
1: she's it. 14, right? Yeah. I heard one that was good.
4: We started when she was eight, and we do them every few months, and she's pretty good. She's getting better.
2: Cool.
0: So, yeah, well, she's
2: starting to understand it's a show more.
4: Yeah, before
3: it would be like, hey, so what'd you do? Uh, I don't know. <laughs>
0: <So> <laughs> you guys will
2: make a podcast or
3: her yet. Well,
0: so the question I was going to ask you... Um, is how has being parents changed your outlook on politics and, um, the future?
4: I guess for me, like I, I'll, I'll go first in that, like it changed everything. It was like, uh, you know, before she was born in the, in the, so my daughter was born in 2004 and, uh, that's the run up to that election. Uh, I had, I, 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 uh, was you know, worried about I was a John Kerry guy. I was like, oh God, this John Kerry, he's gonna be great. He's gonna be the president. He's gonna be George W. Bush. And when he lost, I was I was pretty devastated. And uh I think after that I did like sort of a period of uh I did a Ron Paul period because I'm a white man and you have to do that. That's like a <laughs> rite of passage where you have to like Ron Paul for a little bit. But then I voted for Obama and when 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 it looked like I was so excited about him and, and then when it looked like nothing was going to happen, he wasn't going to do anything and he didn't do anything right for 8 no. years. Uh it radicalized me immediately cuz it's like, oh, man, this kid is going to have to grow up in this shitty world and there's like no opportunity to do anything and it and it like everything changed, you know. It was like uh all these institutions that I I some for some reason believed in seemed pointless and it it was like I just I don't care if she has to, I know that my daughter's going to live through times of like pretty big time destabilization and it's just to me about like preparing her to to uh go into it a world go into the world and be ready to deal with other people and to be ready to work with other people and to understand that like, we're going to have to work together to make things happen. I I, I tend to feel less worried about, like, arm, armed insurrection. I don't think she's – I think a lot of this is going to be people talking and, and like, building connections and, and building communities. And I want her to be ready to go out there and be a part of the community. So, like, I kind of – I treat her like an adult. I've always treated her like an adult since she was a kid. I let her make – she makes one third. She has a one third voice in most of the decisions in the house. I mean, there's some things that it's like, you're not going to tell me where I spend my money. But uh, <laughs> but she makes about she makes she's a one third voice in the house. And, and like we just treat her like a, an adult because, you know, whatever happens in this world, uh, I just want her to have the confidence to that I didn't have and, and to, to go for the things that she wants, I
2: guess. Uh Yeah, for me, I think it did kind of strengthen things or, I mean, I had my daughter after doing the show, uh, starting the show and after becoming an anarchist. And I think through meeting the people that we met and all of the connections and meeting like the rebels and outlaws and renegades. And, you know, even though I'm just doing like the entertainment gig here, there are people out there that are carving out lives that are completely incredible and unique that aren't office worker fucking zombies. And, It's going to take collaborating and understanding and working with those people in the future, whether it's because it is armed insurrection or whether it's because there's a disaster. Um, The future is going to require people that are prepared and ready to do it. And I'm going to make sure that that's what my daughter does. I mean, me and my wife decided to have a kid because we, we both felt comfortable guiding another person into this world. You know, they're like they are the future. You know, they're like time travelers. They're going to carry this forward. And. You know, I don't give a fuck about what happens after I die, and I know it won't be—it won't be anything at all. So, um, I'm not even worried about that, and, and what it's go- what's going to happen with it. Because overall, I think life is a miraculous thing, and I still believe in like everybody, and that we can get over this shit, even though we're manipulated in a million ways. I just can't give up like my compassion for humanity.
0: Well, uh, that's a very good answer. <laughs> sorry. No, no, no. <laughs> Wasn't Uh-oh. funny at
4: all. <laughs> Zero out of ten. Oh, I'm, I'm like, getting emotional Canceled. just
0: listening to the stuff you guys are saying.
4: <clears throat> well, I, you know, and, and like, uh, I want my kid, I, like, I, I, my kid is 14 now, and, and it's, like, she's been uh, an active voice in her home. Like that if if people some guy walked out of the show yesterday, how are you anarchist? Like one of the ways is that my house is not a hierarchy. The the 14 year old girl has the same, basically the same voice as the as the 40 year old parents. And we let her make decisions. And, you know, Brett can vouch for me like my kid is a good kid. Like Gwen is good and she doesn't get in trouble at all. She doesn't she doesn't do anything any of the stuff that I did as a kid, she doesn't sneak out. She doesn't do drugs. She doesn't do any, She doesn't do any of that stuff. And she just wants to be a good person. And, and I think that like, if some, uh, I guess if somebody had, had prepared me for the world, maybe this thing would have happened a little earlier, I guess, <laughs> and we would be further along. But I also think that we, uh, I, in my mind, we, we all think that we live in a time when people are going to take up arms against the government. And, uh, It's just if it happens, it happens. But it it really feels like we're stuck, and and like that, my kid's probably going to exist in the same world that I had to exist in. I I I want it to be better. She might get like universal health care or something like that, but she's going to have to exist in the same world I existed in. (laughs)
2: Yeah. At the very beginning of the show, I used to just I would just wish for a day where everybody would just stand up and leave, and start walking, or taking whatever transportation they had to, and just storming Washington, D.C., and just destroying the whole thing. <laughs> but if I were to try to do that now, I would just end up in fucking jail, and be rot right away. You know, there's just not a critical mass uh, and to, to push anything in that direction. And uh, it's insidious the way that that people are living on less, we're getting less, people are having smaller houses, we're releasing more and more things. Uh credit is, you know, more readily available, the houses are getting way more expensive again. There's going to be a gigantic crash very soon oh, yeah. and a lot of people have not been through it. There's a lot of 25-year-olds, there's a lot of 35-year-olds like me that think they're doing tight right now and then once people start saying I got no money, I'm not giving you a Patreon. Like we're going to have to deal with shit like that. Yeah. It's it's like the world is going is a boom burst cycle and very fucking wild, but uh, I don't know, I still love the ride. Yeah.
4: And, and how, 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 like, uh, when, when it comes to things like that, that critical thing where this country becomes what we want it to be, like, uh, mm-hmm. what ha- at this point. What has to happen? Like, Donald Trump is the president, and he's, like, talking about how... Like, the president is a guy that goes on TV and talks about how muscular a guy is. (laughs) And, like, that is the... That's that's who's in charge now? He does
0: like the big boys. Yeah. (laughs) Because
4: Brett was like, we went... We go to everything. And we went to the inauguration, and Brett was like, I just... Why aren't we, like, going to the White House and just crowd surfing him out of there and just dropping him (laughs) on the side of the road and being like, none of this stuff is yours anymore? Because that is, it seems as simple as the people working in the Amazon warehouse just saying, this isn't your warehouse anymore, Jeff Bezos. This is ours now. But to talk them into that, like, you, we can't ask people to risk their lives they all have skin in it. it just sucks that we all have skin in the game
0: yeah okay I, I think
3: it's i mean the interesting thing and i think this is part of all of the you know the reason why all of us do this is that yes a crisis is going to happen again all the indications are there yes the climate change catastrophe is here you know we're living through it um so there is going to be disaster the question is which way is it going to break because the for the forces that brought us Trump of like xenophobia and racism, uh, building a big border wall. Because when there's a climate crisis, all all those migrants we're gonna you know come up. I guess we're gonna mow them all down. Like, is it gonna break in that direction, or are we gonna do the hard work, all of us, not just in the studio, obviously, but you know across the country and the world, to make sure that it breaks in the right way? I don't think that
4: the I, I do not think that this country is conservative at all. Like I I don't. This idea that the whole middle of the country is these really conservative people with these conservative values that that think that you need to earn health care and think that you need to earn everything, they don't exist. If you sit down and talk to somebody, you will you every single thing we believe in, they believe in, but they think is impossible because they've been told their whole life that this stuff is impossible. It's just you can't like, it's basically like, we need to figure it. I'm not going to figure this out, but we need to figure out a way to convince them. Like, this isn't, it, this is socialism, but like, it's not socialist. I, this is not, this is some other kind of socialism. You know, <laughs> this is like American socialism and it's different. And, and, uh, but give them everything that they have. You know, a lot of people just want money. I mean, like the UBI thing, Sucks, yeah, gang. A a lot of people hate the idea of UBI, but me and Brett talk about this a lot. Like, if honestly, if we just gave people that extra $600 a month that they need to be comfortable, I I can speak for myself that like I was miserable for a long time, and then this podcast, you know, got me to $2,000 a month, then it got me to $2,500 a month. And when I got that, and it seems like every time. I get 500 more dollars a month. My life gets just a little tiny bit easier. So it just seems like man it if we yeah. have the money to let Jeff Bezos like ha- have all these resources, why can't we just give everybody a thousand dollars a month? Because that because the Democrats see that as weakness. When you when the Democrats come out there and they talk about this stuff, they're like, "We're not just giving stuff away," and it's like, like "No, why we should, not?" Like, just <laughs> give stuff yeah. away. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is
0: something I was actually going to ask you about a little later in the show, but I think it fits here. Um, how you feel about stuff like the federal jobs guarantee? And the Green New Deal, which aimed to get more people working instead of fewer um, versus a UBI, which has kind of been hijacked by libertarians. But like just just as someone with very strong anti-work politics, the idea of employing more people just like I know I know why they're doing it, but it makes me so bummed.
4: Well, it, it depends on what the because uh, I think it's weird because me and Brett talk to so many people that are so alienated at their at their jobs and stuff. It's like, what is this work? What is this federal work guarantee? If this is so, if this is like fixing the infrastructure, I'll do it. You know, like that's something I would do. That's oh, something I, he would. I do. I do
3: it for a living. Uh, <laughs> you know, get me some more union work. I'll take it. Yeah, <laughs>
4: if that's what that is, that's great. But. I have a feeling that a lot of it's going to be filling out spreadsheets and busy work.
0: Maybe working for some subcontractors perhaps. Mm-hmm. Temp jobs.
2: Temp, job temp work, yeah. yeah. Well, I worked at the Abercrombie and Fitch warehouse and they would bring in tons of temps and then just, you know, throw them out and then like let them leave, you know, and uh it it was always uh they were like a threat. Like people were, they would say stuff. You know, like we could always just hire hire them to come do your job. You know, it's like fuck, Jesus Christ! Like, what an what an intag- The workplace is already so antagonistic. Throwing more people into that does not sound like a good idea to me. Um, especially, I mean, like, yeah, get rid of the bullshit jobs, and then every job split it in half. Split it between two people, right? So then there's like four hour, an eight hour day work day becomes. Four hours for two people. They both get paid for 16 hours.
1: <laughs> so so this is a subject I wanted to, to talk to you guys about, which is something that I, I really like about your show. I think it's very unique is your call-in shows when you just talk to people about their jobs. Um, and that's something that I think a lot of political podcasts are missing because we focus on these macro politics, what politicians are doing, what, you know. Uh, something that's going on in another part of the world is important stuff Our, to know about. Ourselves included. But the vast majority of people just care about their day-to-day lives and, you know, what kind of money they're making and if they're going to be able to afford uh, or, you know, what, what they can afford. And um, and that's where politics is most obvious to most people. And there was a group in Italy in the 60s who uh, pioneered this, uh, this thing called the Workers' Inquiry, Uh, where they would go to factories and just interview workers and say, what's your job like? What do you like about it? What don't you like about it? How do you think things could be could do better? And they they were these outside militant communist radicals who used those answers to figure out how to intervene mm-hmm. in work. And I see your show as performing a function like that, or an Ohio operismo. I like to
2: call it. <laughs> <laughs> I like that.
3: <laughs> well, a little before you answer, a little closer to home too. There was also uh, the Johnson Forest tendency, which were like post trots, and they were more in your area. They were around the same time Andy was talking about. They were in um, Detroit. And uh, they were doing the same thing. You know, they were not going to people and telling them, like, this is what you want. This is what you need. But, again, getting that feedback, just like you guys do on the show. So talk a little bit about uh, Ohio Operismo for us. Uh, uh, we, or the Brett Bryan tendency, whatever the, whatever the <laughs> case may be. I know.
2: I love Ohio operismo That's going to be like a new <laughs> sticker. Um, I love it. Well, uh, eventually, like, w- it was great when we had – We were both working and we were doing the show because it was just like, oh, you're not going to believe this bullshit that happened today. It's going to be so good on the show. (laughs) And Brian drove Lyft um, up until a few years ago. And those were always good stories, too. And so after that fell off and we knew we had a big enough following, because here's the thing about Colin show. We didn't we were not going to bomb it. We were not going to be like, oh, guess nobody's up tonight. (laughs) (laughs) So we waited until we had that critical mass. Um, and hooked it up, and it has been like a godsend because it gives us so much information that we never got before, and it 's like it refreshes us on what 's going on. People hip us, you know what new management styles are or, or the metrics and the GPS and the technology, and how that 's affected their work and everything and uh, it it 's great and i know it 's cathartic for a lot of people, and there's been so many weird things that happen on there, uh, and great things. I was talking to a guy last night. Uh, he, he called us because he was an art hanger here in New York City and uh, was looking to do something about the labor practices and unionizing the thing. And later in the show, uh, I think OK Fox from the Art and Labor podcast called in and was like, oh, I can totally help that dude. And uh, they hooked up, and now he's like organizing Hell and yeah. active and That's everything. Awesome. Yeah. What's
1: up. Good podcast, by the way. Check it out.
4: I, I, I think uh, also uh, it's cathartic for me. Uh, when I was – so when I was – 20 When I was in my 20s and my early 30s, uh, I, I went from I worked at a call center for a year. Oh, me too. Well, Sorry. I worked as a roofer for six months, a call center <laughs> for a year, and then I worked at the cable company for seven years. And at all those jobs, every day I woke up, I would do this thing where I would just cough really loud. And I don't know why it was, but it felt like I could cough this anxiety out of my right. stomach. And and by the, about the midpoint of the cable job, I was just going outside and throwing up in my bushes every morning and just like, was just so nervous every day on the way into work. I would get to work and it would seem like everybody else there belonged there. And it would seem like everybody else there was very comfortable and knew that their job was going to be there forever. But I never felt that way. I never felt that comfort. And uh, I wish... That somebody had pulled me aside in in my 20s and said, like, we are all nervous. We are. This is everybody is like on a razor's edge. But when we go out to it, when you go out to a bar, you're spending money that you probably don't have, but you're pretending like you have the money. So nobody knows that you don't have the money, you know? And then that's why everybody's so nervous. And I see the call in show as a way for everybody to talk to each other and be like, Hey, we're all broke. All of our jobs are fucked up. Everything's bad. And it's also like these small business people are crazy. Those stories are (laughs) maybe sad. They're sad, but they're entertaining. And like people like to hear them and they like to hear that sort of thing. And I, I, uh, I'm real glad that people feel comfortable talking about their jobs on our show because I think like when Chapo hit, we sort of felt like who, why should we cover pundits and politics when they do it perfectly? So what can we do that they can't do? And it was basically we decided we were going to be the news of everyday life. That was the very early idea early in the show. But I, I think that is something that I wish. I mean, I truly wish mainstream media would steal that from us because I I think that like it's just it would wake. So that's that's how you get to class consciousness. You you don't tell them about the politics. You tell them about the problems and then the solutions are obvious once we all know the problems yeah. you know? Yeah, when, you,
3: when you listen to uh, NPR right and they talk about work it's always about some entrepreneur who started from nothing and now he's a celebrated CEO and he's rich and it's these beautiful stories about you know so you know plucky young men or women you know who are making their way in the world creating jobs and all this shit that's the sort of that's not just like the American ideology but that's just like the propaganda that's constantly fucking like drilled into our heads
2: yeah same with them same with the money stuff they have people on there that are like what do you if you do if you're a little if you're a little behind and you only have ten thousand dollars in your 401k like like, i just Uh, got a payday advance loan to pay off another fucking payday advance (laughs) loan.
0: (laughs) yeah god that stuff is so important like what you said about feeling less alone like I guess we can all get into our stories about our terrible, terrible jobs, but like
3: Sam Cedar, stop listening now.
0: <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't listen. It's fine. Oh yeah, you're, I'm sitting in your chair. <laughs> well, that's how we'll know. <laughs> but my first real job out of college, I was working at a reference periodical as a staff writer writing biographies of notable individuals which like sounds like a pretty good job except for the fact that I had to be in the South Bronx at 8 30 in the morning every day and it was slowly driving me insane and I spent so much time like just beating myself up about it because I was like Everybody else seems to be able to do this Like it's normal And it's not a big deal Mm -hmm. So obviously there's something wrong with me Mm -hmm. And then I had my liberal guilt come in Like oh it was probably my privileged Upper middle class upbringing I'm just like a piece of shit Who like so many people have it so much harder than me And I can't even do this Mm -hmm. And like that's I mean, two things from that, right? That's another thing that keeps workers from gaining class consciousness. They think of class as an identity and not uh, your current position within a society. And it keeps a lot of white collar workers and downwardly mobile kids like me from forming unions and doing all the things that we need to do in order to lead a good life. Like, it's not just going to happen for us. Um, And it also, like... This is actually a line that I wrote in my chapter from my book that I think you said to me last night. And I was like, wow, are we having a mind meld or what? <laughs> like, I hadn't yet realized that I am totally normal and it's work that is bad.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's it, uh, the the it's the thing that's fucked up. It, it, like they're like the system works, you know, but everybody in the system's miserable and they all have the same problems and the same anxiety. So maybe it's not the but, but like then they become experts in human nature. It, like it's such a hard conversation to have with people because we are I mean, my parents I said this on stage last night, but it was very weird. I grew up in a very weird situation where like My dad was one of the earlier computer programmers in Ohio, so he did make a pretty good living, and my stepmom made a pretty good living. We lived in a very working-class neighborhood, which meant that we were rich kids in a weird way, but there were five of us, and we weren't rich.
2: At no, all. No, no. Your his house didn't even have a fucking front porch. Yeah. Like, like, it it was, just looked like a drop off. <laughs> it was pathetic. It was like no awnings, no fucking trees. It was a miserable but house. But we grew up believing
4: that we had more.
0: That's so American.
4: Yeah. Yeah. And then when I got out Like, I had a lot of guilt because I was dirt-ass poor when I moved out of my – when I got kicked out of my parents' house. I was, like, dirt-ass poor for 15 years. And, like, I didn't know why I'm getting payday advances. I'm doing all this stuff. Like, why couldn't I have just been – them. They didn't go to college. They did fine. But that's because noth- none of the stuff was there. Old
3: economy, Steve.
4: Yeah. Eh?
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, the coda to this story is I just, God, I, I was like a trapped animal. I needed to find a way out. It was 2008. So there were not a lot of other jobs waiting for me. But uh, <laughs> I met an editor from Vice at a party. Full of really cool lesbians that I wanted to be friends with. (laughs) And I was telling her all about my job. And like Vice was like very cool in 2008, if you do recall. Not so much anymore. (laughs) Yeah. Like if you never thought, if you claim you never thought Vice was cool, you're lying. I'm sorry. (laughs) So uh, she was, I was telling her about my job. She's like, you should write about that for me. And I was like, oh, cool. I get to write for Vice. And I wrote a blog post about my job and how miserable I was and how much I hated it. And then I got fired.
2: (laughs) Oh, good work. So I guess I
0: did get myself out of there. Got what you
2: asked for. That's
4: the only way, though, that... Uh, for a lot of people, that's the only way to get out of the situation because there. I, I I think I told you this last night. I was working a job at a camera store, making eight fifty an hour that I was terrified of losing.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> like,
4: I was just going home and having panic attacks every night, terrified that I was going to lose a job that w- was paying me eight dollars and fifty cents oh, yeah. an hour. <laughs> by
2: capitalism. That's yeah. all of us, right? Yeah, I. I you know, that's actually the uh, bre- pretty brilliant point there about. Class being an identity thing because it is a matter of statistics. It's a matter of like, it's a sliding scale. The money is distributed. If you're under this line, you're going to struggle and it could just be funneled the other way and s- level the whole thing out.
1: I've yeah. got ai uh, think we all have some miserable work stories. We'd like to unburden <laughs> <laughs> ourselves. Yeah, with hit us, uh, so I hit have us, one yeah. for my first, uh, several years, really way too long living in New York. I was, I delivered food for a living at restaurants. Um, and I worked at a number of restaurants and, Uh, At one point, I was working at two. One was like kind of a, I don't know, like a very well-run corporate sort of business. And the other was a punk-run diner in Williamsburg. Oh, I know which one you're talking (laughs) about. R.I.P. No, unfortunately, it still exists. Oh, it was in Food Swings? No. Oh, Oh. my God. I wish I worked for Food Swings. Uh, But so this was a place that... Shout out to Freedom. A guy from a popular, cool punk band opened this place or or, or managed it. And he said, when I was hired, there's no managers here. We're all equal if we have a problem. (laughs) We can all just talk it out. And so I worked for him for almost a year, including through the winter, doing bike delivery through the worst winter, probably, you know, in 100 years in New York. Like, it was just under 20 degrees, like, every day, freezing, uh, just infuriatingly dangerous and bad. And um, at the end of the winter, I was going to take a couple months off. uh, And I I gave them, because I had so much respect for them, I gave them a month notice. And within the month notice, they fired me. Of uh, course, they did. No yeah. warnings. And I said, but there's no manager who could exactly. That's you. what I said. I was like, <laughs> so what happened was I like mouthed off to the person who fired me. Uh, and they said, "Well, you you mouthed off to a manager. You can't do that." I was like, "Oh, so now there's managers. <laughs> <laughs> they wow. love to have yeah. it's
3: firing time, it's your family. <laughs> hey, oh, you're an associate, not an employee, right? <laughs> That's the whole thing nowadays. The
4: partner, Par- oh, partner. God. Well, yeah. I was in Starbucks the other day, and there was a sign that says, "It's our partner of the month," and That's it's like, so "That's uh, not a partner,
1: motherfucker." Mother.
3: So this so is in a law firm, and these people are making ten dollars an hour. Go fuck
1: yourself.
4: <laughs> yeah. well, I made partner at a Starbucks. <laughs> Yeah. I couldn't I cuz I don't think I don't think about that stuff anymore. At every job I had, you were a fucking employee because my goal at uh my goal at every job was to be a number. I just wanted to be a guy that was a number that nobody ever paid attention to. So, like, I did all employee jobs. So, like, the partner thing or the associate or whatever they're calling you, that is all so brand new to me to, he- to hear. And that's, I think it's for, like, service jobs and it's for white-collar jobs that oh, are yeah. like, oh, let me uh, let you know that you're you're part of this thing, you know?
0: <laughs> oh, yeah, do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life. You got
1: one, yeah. you
3: got one for us, Brad, a b- bad work story? Um, or several
1: <laughs> <laughs> or
0: do what you love and you'll ruin that thing for yourself forever is what I say <laughs> uh,
2: I don't know I can't think of I um, I, I actually I want to tell someone else's story and I. Yeah, uh, do if, it. if you find this out subway guy I owe you some money because I've been <laughs> making a lot on this story we <laughs> have told this story a few times
4: it's a story from Iowa from Des Moines Iowa All that a guy right. told us yeah, we, to me.
2: we do the live shows in places where we don't have six people on stage with us um We let the audience tell us stories. This guy worked at Subway and was closing up for the night and was going to take the trash out and put like a rock by the door to leave it open. Uh, While they were going to grab the trash, they turn around and there's a guy with a knife and they grab them and hold it to their throat. Jesus. Tell him, give me everything in the register. He opens it up, gives it to him. Guy runs away. He's lay on the ground, whatever. And the guy runs away. So he calls the cops and he calls his manager and his manager gets there first, and uh, says what happened. Tells him all. He goes and watches the video, and then sets him down and says, "Um, I'm a little confused here. Why did uh he's uh what do you say? You're bigger than that guy. Why didn't you try to fight him? Wow. <laughs> and then he's like, I he had a knife to my throat. <laughs> I didn't want to. I wasn't gonna fight him." And he goes, "It's but why did you get the money out of the register for him?" Oh <laughs> my god. He's like, "You wow. couldn't have made you could have made him do that."
1: Oh <laughs> god!
0: Wow, wow. I mean, I don't like the idea of people laying down their lives for their country. <laughs> <laughs> <I> agree. Doing it <laughs> for Subway is like beyond the pale.
4: <laughs> Some Subway fucking franchise owner guy that's just just like, I think. Jared would have done it. <laughs> Jared Fogel. I have, like, this weird thing about franchise owners because, like, I have a little bit of respect for somebody who comes up with an idea for a restaurant and puts together a menu and a vibe in the restaurant, you know, plays the right music, sets everything up, and has this really great food and stuff. But then, like, a franchise guy is just somebody who is, like, no, I'm just going to buy the whole restaurant idea from Quiznos <laughs> and just do it. Like, I can't. Those, I, my theory is those are the worst people in the entire world mm-hmm. to work with and just in the entire
3: world. Small <laughs> well, business tyrant. Yeah. We, we are definitely going to interrogate the small business tyrants. I think that that ideology that small businesses are like these great things is, is like super pernicious in America. But, but yeah. can I say that though, like.
4: We the only reason we bring up the small business tyrant thing is is because like it is an interesting conversation to have about like is it better to just get a job at uh, I don't know Huntington or Nationwide Insurance a, a huge company where there's hoops that your manager has to jump through to fire you you know exactly what you're getting you know exactly what your wages are going to be and how many and TPS all of that.
3: reports you have to do right yeah.
4: or is it better like. Okay, so I'm working for an entrepreneur now, and yeah. he's just an insane guy, and he runs the company, and he makes me do everything <laughs> his way, or he beats me up like, or he does weird. Like Brett had a guy that like did a weird massage on his back and uh, shook it. He once. Joe
0: oh. Biden, man. <laughs> No, he, he like <laughs> he did not.
2: Me. He gave me like a hard shove because I was oh. on social media. Oh, and I was just <laughs> like, yes.
0: wow. Or
2: I had a guy screaming. I had a guy.
4: I worked. This is why it came up. So what happened was i am working for a guy who owns a restaurant, and, and it's not a, a – it's a deli, okay? Like any New York deli here, but it's in the basement of a bank one a, – a, 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 a bank building. So it's like there's no way it can fail. There's no way a business like that can fail because everybody just comes downstairs for lunch, and then they leave. He's going to make all of his money at lunch. He hires felons, this guy. So we hired a bunch of ex-felons. I was working with all these ex-felons in the kitchen. One's a dishwasher. And he treated them like trash. Like, he treated them like... He scr- like actually screamed at them every single day. And like I was like, there's nothing they can do. They can't leave. They can't go to the person above them. They can't go to human resources. They can't do anything. It's like his way or the highway. And these are the jobs that... Like these guys, that guy that hires felons and screams at him, are what Hillary
3: Clinton is defend. Like yeah. she's like, we need yeah. more of these, right. and it's like we don't need they're more the of those. Heroes
0: of this country, we need mil- millions job of creators. Amy
3: Klobuchar's running franchises <laughs> well, across the country.
2: Exactly, and like with the small business tyrants, they're the ones that will also lean into. Like you know, we're like a family here, right. and in my family, mm-hmm. we scream and yell at each other when we do something wrong. Uh, we rub our we rub our faces <laughs> in it. You know,
3: whatever. we let people have knives oh held God. to their. Road and yell at them for yeah. it. Yeah, I mean, I've
0: got like a best case scenario with my small business tyrant. He's very nice to me. He lets me use his studio for free.
4: Well, we're, we're we hire people now too. You know, my wife works for my wife works for Street Fight. My brother, my my daughter works for us, and it's, I. It's his whole
2: family basically. Brett right. just <laughs>
4: hires my family. My cousin <laughs> does stuff for us, but like. We, we Like, uh, I I love yelling at them. It's wonderful. And they should never have to deal with that.
3: <laughs> well, I think, you know, a lot of um, this conversation has been about the alienation of work and also these kind of this tyranny that if it was anywhere else, you know, in the world would seem completely like out of place and people will reject. But when you're at work, it's like just so- yeah. supposed yeah. to be or normal. Or the government were doing that. Yeah, right. Exactly. I got um, so. I'm kind of a two-parter, right? So when I uh, left, uh, when I got out of high school, barely, I made it out. Uh, you know, I grew up middle class, uh, and my father told me, he said, if you're not going to go to college, you're going to do what I did, which is go work in a factory. So I said, okay. So I went and got a factory job. I worked the night shift at this elastomer factory for a year and a half. Uh, everybody was completely atomized. There was no like camaraderie, no conversation. It was just you in front of like an elastomer mill all day, just like working all night. Actually, and I think it was making like nine seventeen an hour, which actually in like nineteen ninety eight was not that bad. But um, night shift, I was like a vampire. You know, I never saw the fucking sun. Completely fucking miserable. And my my, it worked. My dad's my dad was like, "You're gonna do this, and you're gonna hate it. Then you're gonna go to college," which actually did succeed. Um, so I quit that job, um, completely alienating and uh, shitty experience. Uh, and then I went to college. I dropped out. Went in. I dropped out. And eventually, me and a lot of my friends in our early 30s, we decided to get serious. So I joined the trades. You know, I went into an apprenticeship program uh, with the union that I'm in now. So to give like the other side of the thing, like what's possible when there's solidarity, for example, and when there is, you know, the elements of class consciousness, uh, a little story. We know wage theft is a huge deal in this country, right? A lot of your callers, I'm sure, talk about that. Um, (laughs) We were on the job maybe about a year and a half ago and we got there at 7 a.m., as we always do. Uh, We start working, put our tools on, go out, boom, 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 bang, bang, bang. And all of a sudden, my shop steward gets a call. And uh, he, he yells, like, everybody, come here, come here. So we all come, and he says, tools down. We're like, what? He says, tools fucking down. Take your fucking belt off. Okay. Put the tools down. Put our hard hats in the shanty. Like, go sit down. It was the winter. We sat in a, you know, warm car for, like, two hours. We're like, what the fuck's going on? And as it turns out, he got a call from our business rep. Right? The company that we had been working for, which had tons of jobs, like hundreds of millions of dollars worth of jobs all the way from Montauk to fucking New Jersey and five boroughs and everything. They were $2 million behind on our benefits. Right, So we shut down, our union shut down every fucking job that they had, like 17 fucking jobs. <laughs> if, if, we're not, if we're not working, nobody's fucking working. And guess what happens in those, those two or three hours that we were sitting? They had a fucking courier... Go from Midtown Manhattan down to our union hall with a cashier's check for $2 million. That's when we put our tools back on and we went to work, right? That's, so yeah. that's like, I mean, that, oh, yeah, yeah. That, that, that was, it was beautiful. And like, there's a lot of issues, of course, with like all unions. Building trades are very reactionary, right? Um, but in this instance, it shows just the basic elemental factor of like, we are workers, we have rights, you do not fuck with us. And if you fuck with us, we will fucking strike. We will do a job action and you will be forced to do what you should have done from the beginning. Right? So like, I I think ultimately those two experiences were completely like, you know, the, the obverse of one another. And I think for the people out there who are interested in making their work lives better, if they don't have the opportunity to drop out of the workforce and just live independently or there's no UBI or whatever, you know, start talking to the people at your job, you know, start talking with them about organizing. It's really fucking hard, but we had the biggest strike wave in decades uh, last year, especially with the teachers. Mm-hmm. It is possible now that material and social conditions are there where if you feel that alienation, you're not alone. As we've all been saying, you're mm-hmm. not alone. Everybody feels that. And the best thing to do is to fight back and you can only do that collectively
2: yeah yeah and i mean and young people uh are are getting back into it i mean our understanding i've done this week i did uh i talked to the pit grad students who are having an election for a union uh this week um i talked to the little big burger union um we talked to the burgerville union so we do like to uh when we can uh you know spread that message and let people know and it's incredible. I get emails that all the time from tradesmen as well that are telling me like you know i'm making thirty eight dollars an hour as a lineman out here in North Dakota living like fucking John Wayne, and I love it you know <laughs> and uh, I would love to get more of those interactions uh on the show and and, and a part of it but um I it ultimately we, it it was like that was the frustrating for me i did I did the same thing my dad was a forklift driver, so i'm like I can I 'll go get my fucking license and I'll do that. And uh, then the pe- you know, we were getting we were getting less and less every single year. We were getting like, uh, you know, a uh, uh, one paycheck at Christmas. They'd give us an extra paycheck and it got whittled all the way down to a fucking lottery for a ham. Oh, Jesus. And it was like, <laughs> fuck, this wow. shit has drastically changed. I'm vegetarian. And, like, it. <laughs> and uh, I did everything to try to rile people up. And uh, nobody, you know, nobody wanted to do it. And I was just like, we, all we have to do is just stop. If we don't work, it's, you know, if we don't work, they can't do shit about it. Well, what and are? that's actually part so of my hard. part of
3: my story is that um, a lot of the unions, like the one I'm in, we're coasting on like a hundred and something years of. Of past people's struggles, we still have our union. Those linemen have that you know a union right. job because people in the in the past went on strike and organized, got beat up by the cops, got beat up by the scabs, this, that, and the other thing. Like I, I'm fortunate enough to have entered into that, but we do need a new wave, you know, where people are actually yeah. starting to self organize. Yeah. That's all. That's the way it's going to happen. Yeah. It has the, the 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 fight for fifteen fizzling out a little bit lately.
4: It feels like. It, maybe we have to do this one by one in a way like i the the the, the people in minneapolis the the jimmy johns union people have the iww they oh, really yeah. like i've been i've been very inspired by the iww and that like it's not an all or nothing proposition i hate this idea that you have to have a union vote and if it fails the union vote so like oh well it failed fuck it we don't get to have a union where like you can just do these little individual if we can even just get people to do individual actions to improve their working conditions, conditions in the place that they're at. That's a big step towards actually just having a union. You're like, well, you know, we've done this. We got a fan in the kitchen. We got, uh, we got an extra dollar on each other's pay. And we've had a lot of calls from people who have done small Individual actions at their jobs that have pr- improved their conditions, and I think that's kind of a way to go because the all or nothing proposition, th- unfortunately, for us, union is a very good word, but there are a lot of people out there where it's not, you know. And I, I don't, here it probably is still good in New York, but in the Midwest. You know, I would go in I would just say union in the break room and like the joke is always like ho ho, don't say that too loud here, you know, you're getting a lot of trouble. Which is (laughs) fucked
3: up.
0: I mean, they did earn a reputation for corruption at certain points in history and people probably associate people from a certain era associate them with organized crime and shit. Uh, but like It's better than nothing. Right. Like, if you want to make a better union, make a better union. And the the
3: reason why that corruption was able to enter into the labor movement is because the self organized grassroots militant activity of the workers had died off. And what replaced it was this kind of parasitical, you know, gangsterism on top. It was a reflection of the failure of workers to keep pushing things forward. And on your point, which I think is a really good one about, uh, you know, the, the labor law and this, that, and the other thing. You know, I've said this on the show before. We've all said this: is that we need to do what people did a hundred years ago when they did not have the right to organize. Is we need to act as though it were li- it, it, it were allowable. You, we need to break the law. Yeah. That's parody. parity. Yeah. No, you should be going and doing labor actions even if they're illegal, as long as you can get enough people together. Because that's the only way that you change the laws is by but basically, making a fate accompli, right, like this is how it's going to be
2: yeah the the wildcat strikes from the, t- the teachers was like the most inspiring thing that kept me going for a while because Brian and a, I, Brian and I have always been supporters of unions, but it's like if you don't like the fucking union, just go don't do what they fucking say, like make a new one <laughs> or and you know, and like we we'll, like and create something that is better than what has been made oh, before yes. to, you know, to respond to your point about their, their history. Um, but and
0: women it, in the maquila zone in Mexico had to strike against their own union, which was very much in bed with the ruling party in it, the eighties and nineties.
2: You do what you have to do, but you don't just put, you don't just fucking give up. Right. You, you yeah. keep pushing towards, you know, like you said, yeah. towards better working conditions and, and, and staying involved with it, you know, and not letting it get out of your hands. I get
0: so annoyed with liberals sometimes. Like, even on this show that I work at, like, Sam will have someone on and do a very granular discussion about labor laws or about Supreme Court decisions and how, you know, it's really going to suck if uh, if unions are made illegal or we get federal right to work or the Supreme Court decision. But, like, what do you think is going to happen if that happens? Are people just going to, like, lie down and say, all right, you won. That's it. We're we're your slaves now. No. Like, how do you think we ever got anything? People are going to have to break the law.
4: Yeah. That's people aren't going to know either. That's the other thing. Like, it's like if it's the Supreme Court's like, oh, we have fred- federal right to work now. It's not like every person that has a job is going to be like, oh, well, I guess we have federal <laughs> right to work now. Yeah, <laughs> no. We can't do anything.
0: That's a very <laughs> good point. Well, and,
3: all, and also, too, like a lot of the, like the Wildcat strikes you were talking about are they, they, people feel like they're inventing them. But, like, it's just a resurgence of something that happened in the past. A lot of those teachers might have not, not known what a wildcat strike even was, even though they were doing it, right? Oh. So I think, you know, our, our job, all of us, I mean, the left in general, is to, like, make those connections and help people understand their own self-activity when they're out there, right? And the issues they face in the job. But this brings us to something we've been dancing around a bit because we've talked a, you know, a bit about how horrible work is, uh, how horrible... Uh, business owners, including small business tyrants, are uh, we 've talked about you know how to just like have a better life at work. Um, what about the question of they 're not being work as we imagine it What about the question of anarchism because you guys are committed anarchists. So talk a little bit about I think you mentioned about the, the crisis in uh, uh, Obama. Right. Uh, radicalized you, Brian. But where do you guys see yourselves uh, in, in terms of this uh, this political question? Like, what does anarchism mean for you? For how me, did
0: you come to it?
3: I guess for me, uh, well, the, how I came to it was very weird. <laughs> I just said, "Brad, I think
4: I'm an anarchist. And he's like, yeah, you should be. <laughs> <laughs> and, that's a good, that's a good it's basically friend. Like, well, no, because it, 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 we get a lot of shit sometimes because we talk about socialism and communism and stuff like that. And we do call ourselves anarchists. And for me, anarchism is not like the whole of your beliefs, I guess. You know, like you don't just say I'm an anarchist and that's all that you are. Uh it is an organizing principle to me that I think everything needs to be as, I think everything needs to be as flat as possible at like in every, in every aspect. That's not to say that people can't take leadership roles and, and movements and things like that. And that, that there's not like voluntary kind of leaders. But I, I, I think that like the, the, the uh, wealth, the, the wealth, this thing should be, be completely even we should all just have the same amount of resources the the wealth distribution should be even and that like any movement needs to be shooting for anarchy like in the end to me that i'm going to be involved in we need to be shooting for anarchy i don't know what it's going to take to get there but like as a principle i think that's the I think anarchy is the number one, is the best possible solution. That is utopia. That is the end goal. And I don't want people to, like, forget about the fact that the end goal is all power to all the people. Hell yeah. Hell
0: yeah.
2: Um, For me, uh, I I mean, I was reading books and stuff. I got really into conspiracy theories for a while. Mm -hmm. and. Re, that that was enough for me to start hating democrats because they did enough of that both sides are bad shit mm. but then when they started saying people had mind controlled and shit i was like i can't i can't <laughs> make sense <of> that. <laughs> i can't tell somebody that's what i can't tell somebody that's the news <laughs> you had me tell the lizard people right right, right. <laughs> so reading books by like uh, noam chomsky and you know other just texts and things uh got me to think about it and after obama got elected and I, you know, they were saying that he was a socialist, and I thought his preacher was fucking awesome, Jeremiah (laughs) Wright, the stuff that he was saying. (laughs) I was so into that guy. I mean, I was a little convinced that, that like, Obama was a Molotov cocktail of some sorts. Like, he was going to be really hardcore, like lovey-dovey liberal that wants to give everybody everything that I, you know, that has been this was the stereotype of those people for me growing up, and it wasn't. You know, it's not that case at all, and for anarchism to me i think is an individual thing but the people that identify as it um, have a good head on their shoulders normally understand a lot of the struggle that goes on and are not the majority white guys The the original anarchist people that we were hanging out with on twitter were non-binary people were pocs and have a lot of illuminating information you know that made sense and Uh, You know, the other people that are involved are all, like I said, people that I trust and people that, you know, There obviously there's problems with any sort of, you know, once you start having a label, then all of a sudden there's going to be a creep that does it. But the people that are really down for the cause um, are really going for something along the lines of like camaraderie and mutual aid. And that's the extent of it. I I would love to, you know, we talk a lot. We talk too much about like money and stuff. I'd love to go moneyless society or like resources shared. Um, But I I just can't imagine as much success I've had in my life. I can't imagine needing much more than right now. I actually had like a mental break last year because I would just buy stuff and then Be like, well, I want those shoes now. And I had the money to just swipe my card and get the shoes now. And it was like, this is so fucking draining, you know, just to be in a constant consumption cycle. And, um, you know, I I think about things like all of the tools that are like sitting in people's sheds. There's like in my neighborhood, there's probably 500 saws that are not being used. They're being used for probably 30 minutes a summer. You know yeah, when boomer when,
3: dads who like I want to do a little project every once in a while
2: and we had hundreds of thousands of people get together to make sure that hundreds of thousands of saws came overseas and we did all of this when we could have just fucking shared yes like, you know a hundred it's, it's such a it's such a radical
3: but simple idea if you manage uh, imagine what a library is for books. Right. Why can't there be a library for tools? Mm-hmm. Right. You know, like I need a hammer. I need a fucking hammer drill. It's, you know. Instead,
2: Walmart will say we got a drill for 1998 and it's yeah. going to fucking break on you. And right. then you just throw it away and go buy another one. And
3: it's exploiting, uh, you know, people in China who are getting paid
2: almost nothing to make it. Also, anarchism does a, a, a flatten everything for everybody. And yeah. it was like views the outs, you know, the people that I was paying attention to. Understood imperialism and and weren't just like you know well it's if it's legal in their countries it's they can do whatever they think they want man you know like nothing was about anarchism never led the way. Uh, to pedophilia, the way that
0: libertarianism does. <laughs> well, never, I'd never Hakeem Bay, might
2: have gone that direction.
3: I think most I, of, yeah. there's
0: never been an anarchist reign of terror either. No? like people want to talk shit on anarchists as being well, like, violent or the propaganda okay. I mean, there, of the deed or whatever. There were but a like, few like,
3: priests who got hung in Spain, but <laughs> you know what? Well,
0: but like compared to say Marxist Leninism, I think we're doing pretty good.
3: Well, let's let's say yeah. like I want to I want to actually get back to that, something you both kind of touched on, which is the day-to-day practice, right, of community building and mutual aid, right, and then about, uh, Brian, what you said about um, like, that's the end point, that's the goal, we never need to lose sight of that I think it, that that's the really, it's a really important thing, Jamie and I talk about this all the time, it's like, a lot of what we do whether you're a socialist, whether you're a communist whether you're an anarchist, right, that's As long as you have this horizon that is beyond those day-to-day struggles and a horizon that's beyond just Medicare for all, which is good, right? Or just better workplace regulations. As, as long as we're, we're thinking, like, in, I hate to say it, but a utopian fashion about, like, the best way to organize a fair, safe, and, like, I don't know, friendly co- community and society and world, right? That's what it's all about. And if you're an anarchist, right? I'm sorry, but, like, Marxists out there, I know you're listening— if you're a Marxist, you understand that the end state of uh, communism is also anarchism, right? No state and, uh, you know, from each according to their ability to each according to their need. So it's it's really just it's it's not just semantics, but it's also just like we all kind of want the same thing. And we just need to, you know, just keep plugging away at it, whatever you I, call yourself.
4: I mean, if we're not thinking about utopia, then like, what are we even doing? Really? If the end of this isn't utopia, then what? Like, What's the? F- Point. If the end of this is just bickering over the next thing, we're then... going to
0: preserve the status quo forever, which yeah. totally is a thing that can happen and yeah. everything will be fine. It's going
3: great. Everything's
4: great. I mean, we've been told for uh, when, when, when me and Brett became friends and we, we, we haven't known each other forever. We became friends in like 2009 and like we, we hang out with a lot of pretty successful, like uh, in, in the regular business world type people when we're at home and we've been told like that we're unrealistic for the entire time that we've been kind of going through this. We're too weird. It, it never happens in this world. And I highly recommend it to guys that, found friends in their 30s like it doesn't it just isn't a thing that happens like where like two men become friends in their,
3: like but uh it doesn't happen enough <laughs> yeah
4: but it happened and like we both kind of went through this things and we disagree on things but both of us in the end really do believe in a utopia we want a utopia i don't think i'm gonna live in a utopia i don't think he's gonna live in a utopia but if we're not thinking about a utopia then i don't so I, I don't see any point in doing anything.
3: And your daughter, you would want to live in a utopia. Yeah, I don't right? think she's so. going to either, but that's she's a pain nope. in the ass. Maybe,
0: <laughs> maybe she can bring us uh, one more step closer. Yeah. I don't know. One so, step
3: closer to the edge before it all breaks.
0: E- exactly. Um, <laughs> new so metal
3: there, new metal callback.
0: I wanted to ask you guys how you feel about the current wave of sort of social democratic, democratic socialist electoral politics. Because we've been seeing this around the world with the rise of Bernie Sanders in the U.S., Jeremy Corbyn in the U.K., Uh, we got Podemos in Spain, we got Syriza in Greece, they already screwed the pooch, whatever, whatever. Um, Amlo in Mexico. Amlo in Mexico. Like, how do you feel about this wave of sort of left-wing populism as expressing itself in the electoral sphere?
4: I think I like the idea of a one-year project... To get something that will have concrete results, uh, I'm not going to do it. I, I I I can't get behind a, a burn. I can't get behind anybody. like this. Is not a slide against Bernie. This isn't a slide against anybody that or whatever. I can't get behind. I can't get behind a guy. I like he likes war a little too much for me. He's okay with war, but I do think it's okay to do these little one year projects. It doesn't hurt anything to spend a year trying to figure out how we can get a concrete thing to happen. And then once that's over, move to the next thing, but we need to make sure we move to the next thing because what happened with Obama was like, we did spend a year making a thing happen. And then as soon as that happened, a lot of us went home and did nothing for eight years. And then we came back and now we have this. So I, I think it's smart. Just, I, I don't, I don't think it's dumb to spend the time doing this. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to cover it. You know, I mean, I'll cover it a little bit. We don't, it's not really our beat anyway, but like, I, I do think it, I do think it's okay the electoralism is okay. I wish it didn't take all the resources. Sure, yeah, no shit. Oh, God.
0: We've been having a lot of uh, discussions in the DSA right now as to what kind of resources to put into the Bernie Sanders mm-hmm. campaign. And I just...
3: Are they friendly discussions?
0: Uh, sometimes. <laughs> and, you know, I feel like I'm raining on everyone's parade, but I'm like, guys, this can't be the only thing that we're doing. Yes. We're socialists. Like, even the things, the reforms that you want Bernie to achieve, Is they're only going to happen if you have lots and lots and lots of outside pressure Mm -hmm. and grassroots action
3: Brett uh, what's your take on this I just forgot uh, we're talking like DSA and electoralism Um, and things of that sort oh I don't care about that fucking shit at all I pay (laughs) no attention anymore Um,
2: you know I feel like most people are just going to show up on the day and press the button for whoever's a democrat and they shouldn't like they shouldn't ham and haul about it if that's what you're gonna do.
3: Yeah, but it's
1: at worst a waste of time. That's the way yeah. I look at it. Yeah.
2: And if
3: you if you are interested in electoral politics, uh, depending on where you live, it takes between twenty minutes and like, you know, four or five hours, one day, you know, to go out and vote, go ahead and do it. But that's not everything. Right? Yeah. No.
2: Yeah, that's what I that's what I'm against because I saw those people waiting for that Mueller report. I sent out like oh a gigantic I've sent like the have not I haven't I'm not very angry on Facebook anymore, but I just saw this Lady from school that was, um, you know, so was so upset about the this uh, the Mueller report and all of that, and I was just made this thing about please just do something else besides expecting someone else to solve the problem sure. solve mm-hmm. the problem, you know, and like if you are really anti Trump, you have to fucking prove it. You can't just say you are you there's actions you can do and like i expect to see you in the streets because there are a lot of people waiting for you to fucking show up we're already here you know that's what that was disconcerting about the way that a lot of some of the protests go down in columbus is like people just won't show up and 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 yet there's i i go on there and i have 500 friends that are all say they're politically active and you know wonks and nerds and all this stuff, and they don't fucking do anything besides sit around and talk about it.
0: Well, some liberals did take to the streets recently in Washington, D.C., I believe, and demonstrate um, just because they really want the full report. (laughs) They want the full report. And one Uh, guy had a sign that said... I love laws. <laughs> and I was like, this is the worst fucking protest. I, I have would ever not seen. listen to
3: that assholes. Pro- podcast, I mean, unless I it was, you. it was
0: like, uh, one of those anti fog guys like smashed a window and then the cops are coming. He's like, all right, quick. What would, what would a shitlib lib say? <laughs> I know.
3: All right, guys, we're going to uh, wrap it up. But, uh, do you want to uh, give a plug out to this new thing? This, uh, means TV thing. Tell us a little bit about it. You guys did a rad video. Um, Nick is the coolest person in the world.
4: Uh, he was a 19-year-old kid that we met. We, we were doing a weed festival. We were performing at a weed festival in, somewhere in Michigan. like On a
2: racetrack in Michigan. On a racetrack
4: in Michigan. And he sent Brett a DM and said, do you mind if I come and film you guys? And uh, he's the best. I, if he asks you to film, pl- you should do it. He will... He leaves you alone. He's an incredible person that will go 50 feet away from you and let you be a normal person and then come back and ask what you want. No, he's a genius. He's a great – and so we took him on tour with us for a while, and we just have a relationship with him, and he launched this thing. And Means TV is, like, pretty much all co-op that he's trying to make. And I know that there's a lot of people who who are like, oh, uh, Netflix for socialism. I mean, that sounds, like, exploitive, but it's like – uh, to make things happen there needs to be money and if unfortunately in the world we live in if we're going to make entertainment for socialists then there needs to be money and I also believe that inter- socialists deserve entertainment and that they they uh, seeing more of it will strengthen their values and their beliefs and that help them explain things to their family and to other people around them. Like I think listening to any of these podcasts that happen, People are able to explain these beliefs that they have in a way because they've heard it explained a few times. And to have, you know, this thing that's going to have like documentaries and comedy specials and movies and television shows is crazy to me. And it seems he is good at what he does. And these things are going to look good, these are going to be high value productions. Like we have ideas that we want to do on there that he is going to make happen that people will be like, I can't believe this Like this exists. So you're saying you know? the
1: ends justifies the Means TV? Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Hell
3: yeah. All right. So folks can uh, can go to means.tv, right, and donate because they're doing like a,
2: a crowdsourcing
3: uh, fundraiser yes. thing now.
2: Yeah, yeah. And like I said, I mean, he has a co-op uh, for designing and printing shirts. Uh, oh. He has a tech co-op that's doing, in Austin, that's doing all of like the, the, uh, infrastructure for the streaming services and all of that stuff um this the whole thing is like laterally hor- organized and uh he's gonna pay artists too so it sounds like a, it's an ambitious idea but he got started as uh, like a 12 year old kid that had a computer and video software and was doing commercials for like gm and chrysler and ford when he was like 18 years old and just hated it and felt like a horrible person, and uh, wanted to spend time. He does these. He did was doing short films about people in Detroit and what their lives were like and what organizing was like for them. And uh, he's a brilliant dude. So he, uh, I can't wait to see it when it finally happens because I've been talking to him about it for so long now, and uh, it's going to be great. It'll be awesome. Hell uh, yeah! Hell yeah! awesome so folks go to uh,
3: means.tv and help them get this fucking ball give rolling them all of
0: your money all
3: your money if you have
0: any left after you give it to us
3: and also street fight radio if you're not I don't know why you wouldn't be a listener I don't know why you wouldn't be a supporter of street fight radio but yeah, it uh, would seem it, the it,
0: Venn diagram between the kinds of people who like antifada the kinds of people who yeah. like street fight is pretty much yeah, it's, a circle. it's almost
3: like a circle yeah so guys uh, thanks so much for coming on uh, this was a fucking blast you guys are pro- you guys are pros I tell you so Sometimes you gotta just like pull the podcast out. Yeah, of Yeah, you should you do know. this
0: professionally.
3: <laughs> well,
2: thanks for having us.
3: Yeah, and uh, good luck on your uh, at your what WWF thing in Queens tonight. But don't accuse us of working for the WWE. WWE. We are <laughs> good luck
0: with your wrestling match.
4: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we don't work for them. They are a Trump fundraiser. Uh, they're the big Trump fundraiser, as we like to call, as I like to call them. Well, you know, then. but. uh... Some of that a lot of that money that people are spending at that arena today is gonna to go to his re
3: election. Oh, so,
4: but we are we're we're doing commentary on his show on uh, I think on the show with WrestleSplania. We're just gonna go hang out and watch wrestling today. Cool. Yep. cool. And
3: maybe get a couple people into like anarchism, slip yep. it in a little bit, subliminal, right? I will. We're sneaky like, like that. Hell yeah. I'll
4: be like, see, these two guys are working together to put on a performance <laughs> for you.
3: <laughs> That's the struggle. That's
1: the struggle.
0: Nothing more communal than a wrestling event. Alright,
3: you guys are doing God's work. Keep it up, guys. Thanks so much for coming in. We appreciate it.
1: Following the right movement to clamp down with your iron fist, trudge became conveniently available for all the kids. Following the right movement to clamp down with your iron fist, trudge became conveniently available for all the kids.
4: They're trying to build a prison, they're
1: trying to build a prison, they're trying to build a prison Who do I mean eleven? Another prison system, another prison system, another prison system Made drug offenders, fill your prisons, you don't even flinch All our taxes paying for your wars against the new non-rich Minor drug offenders, fill your prisons, you don't even flinch All our Texas paying for your wars against the new non-rich All our